Hello, my friends. Welcome back to the Naked Leadership Podcast with yet another conversation with Dan and Adrian. In this conversation, we tackle what it looks like and why the problems that arise when we choose to ignore a problem that we know is there. We come across so many leaders that have problems or breakdowns in their organization with their teams, and they think if they can just ignore it, it'll go away. But that often, in fact, the opposite of that, it becoming bigger and more pervasive is usually the reality. So in this conversation, we dissect this idea of ignoring the problem. And uh, there's some really great stuff in here that I can't wait for you to listen to. Uh, Let's get into it now. Hello, my friends. Welcome back to the Naked Leadership Podcast. I'm here with Dan and Adrian. Gentlemen, how are you? Hey, good Good to be here. Great to be here. Kicking. We're recording this on a Monday and Monday has arrived. All the issues flying out. (laughs) Monday arrived at 5 a.m. for me this morning. (laughs) I got this, uh, just telling Dan, I got this new self-planner. This uh, three-month goal, like it outlines everything big three months and then breaks it down to months and weeks and days and minutes. And my minutes started at 5 a.m. this morning. And, and wow. it's, it's been awesome. It's been incredible. That's um, cool. At the top of the call, I just have a question for you or top of the conversation. What problems are you guys ignoring? So many. How long do you have? <laughs> <laughs> You know, there's this phenomenon, obviously, I don't think it's where none of us are strangers to it. This idea that we can, if we have a problem or a breakdown, that we can ignore it long enough that it will just go away. Mm-hmm. We don't have to deal with it. The problem is, is that, you know, Dan, as you like to point out, that it starts as a shit hors d'oeuvre often yeah. and, and accelerates from there. So I want to start at the hors d'oeuvre stage and just talk a little bit about this behavior as you think about clients that you've worked with maybe even personal experiences of problems or breakdowns that you've chosen to ignore. Why? What's with the human psychology that allows us to think this thing's just going to like magically disappear? That's a simple question with a complex answer. (laughs) Let's just start at the beginning. (laughs) So, I mean, there's so many motivations, but I mean, looking good, feeling good, being right and being in control are Mm. four I can think of immediately, right? Those are all reasons I've used motivations to, you know, to ignore the problem and to ignore it when it's a small problem, hoping that it'll go away or somebody else will take care of it because it represents some kind of um, assault on my sense of comfort or survival, one of the two. Yeah, ego. I, that's what I heard, when, and that's brilliant. When you said that, I started thinking about like, oh, okay. So if we were to get real about the fact that we have a breakdown, that might make us look blank. Yeah, look bad or Broken. out of control. Wrong. Yeah. yeah. I have done that. I've been in that mindset where without thinking about it, but my whole strategy is not to expose myself and or not to make myself look bad for fear that I might lose some traction or respect or a possibility or influence. Yeah. It's interesting because I know for me, when I have problems or breakdowns in my life that I'm ignoring, I think it's often because I know what it's going to take to address it. Like I know the conversations that I need to have, the openness and the transparency with the people that I'm going to need to have the conversation with or, or want to have the conversation with in order to open it up, right? And to be able to look at it. And so, yeah, and, then, 
The other thing is not just opening up, but how one opens it up. I mean, it's, I think that's one of the most difficult things. In fact, I know in John Gottman, who is a research psychologist, right? A clinical psychologist and does, he's very renowned for his work with couples. Mm -hmm. And they have this thing called the lab and they come in and they hook you up, you know, both couples and they video them talking about a breakdown, right? They'll have them in the lab and they'll, over a period of time, be filming them and they, have, and they watch how they deal with breakdowns. And they noticed that the, the biggest obstacle to dealing with a breakdown well is the startup, how you start into the breakdown, mm. right? And that's a big deal. And I think when we see something that's out, it's a problem. And I think there's two domains of that as well. Like there's either a competency issue or there's an attitude issue. I would, I think the competency issues, I think it's, we're much more familiar with it. We can externalize the problem. It seems easier to address. That's right. And then the more difficult and pernicious one is the attitude problem. I know when I've been married now, I've been with my wife almost 50 years and She's really, she's much better at this than I am, but the timing, knowing when to bring the problem up, knowing how to bring the problem up in a way that would be inviting rather than an attack, right? And how does, you know, there's some, we have a very specific practice for that. I think we've talked about it before on the, on the podcast, but but that's a big issue, right? Knowing those things would give me confidence, you know, having that sense of strategy, and understanding and then going doing my own work on the problem so I can articulate it clearly and invite them in would make a big difference. But the point is I ignore it because I feel I'm afraid usually and something's at stake and I'm not quite clear how to do it and I'm hoping it's going to go away or somebody else is going to deal with it. Maybe I can even create a position, a layer of leadership that will go over and deal with this problem that I don't want to deal with. <laughs> You know that happens. Oh, I think we that's a new we need a new manager over in that area. <laughs> yeah, that oh that one hits home deeply. I can think of the times that I've been in charge of hiring for both my companies and another company that I was a leader at and definitely looked to hire my problems away. <laughs> Somebody's going to save me and then they come in and and if they do well, then I get I feel threatened because now they're doing the job I was supposed to do. <laughs> and if they don't do well, then I've got someone to blame and I can get rid of them. Yeah, that's a good racket. I like that one. That's what are your good. thoughts, Adrian? Yeah, I mean, so many. And even, even when we brought up the issue of like why we ignore problems, you know, that's a huge can of worms. Well, the first thing I thought about is I'd rather ignore evidence that might point out that my biggest fear that I'm a fraud is true. Mm -hmm. You know, like what if I, I mean, even I was, I was actually thinking about something very specific around this morning, Chad, we, you know, we had this meeting around some of our marketing initiatives and you, you'd been meeting with a potential guy that could do some work with us and talking about brand. And when you said, you know, Hey, I've been working with, I've been, you know, you've been around us and working with us for a long time. And when the guy asked some specific questions about our vision and our mission and our values, and you had a hard time answering them, I took that on like, Oh, wow. Look what I'm not doing. You know, something probably I talk about on a daily, on an often basis, like about mission and vision and values and aligning a team around those things. And now one of my most, beloved team members is 
you weren't there telling us, saying anything, anything was wrong, bad or broken about us. You were just saying that that was what, you know, you were at. It wasn't, really, wasn't really distinct for him. And, yeah, yeah, sure. Well, I yeah. was admitting, I was admitting my embarrassment of not being connected to it. <laughs> yeah. I, what I, I'm thinking about. So Cause I, I was thinking, this is great. How we know what's next. <laughs> Let's get this clearer. Yeah, I know. I'm thinking like, oh, what, you know, what have I been avoiding? That's where my head went in the conversation when we were having it, you know, and what's my role in that and what's my stand and, you know, and what's my unique position in this company, in our work. Mm -hmm. Anyway, I heard what was missing from, from me in it. Me too. But we didn't really talk about that. I didn't talk about that on the call. And so the fact that that's missing isn't necessarily a problem. It's just to your point, Dan, it's like, which is what's missing and it's the next thing to go do. I think most of the time people avoid, and Adrian also avoids issues if I actually label it as a problem. Mm -hmm. You know, because a lot of times it's not a problem. It's just, it's something, there's a couple other things that it could be, right? So a lot of times it's, there are tensions to manage that occur to me as problems, but it's a tension that I actually must go intervene in and like reorient the situation and then let that run for a while until it must go be reoriented again. It's kind of like an engine, you know, an engine that needs oil. Like this, it's not, it's never going to not need new oil. It will always need to get recalibrated and refilled and emptied out and put back in. And there's some of those problems we have you know, let's say our senior leadership team is disengaged. Now, is that a problem? Well, it's got some outcomes that will be problematic for us, but it's actually, there's a tension there about engagement and unengagement is a tension, you know, because we're all engaged and unengaged. On this podcast, you know, I was unengaged, I was less engaged when I was listening than I am now as I'm speaking, right? And it's just, it's an accordion, and, and, like engagement's an accordion. So it comes and goes, it ebbs, it flows. That's very natural and very human. So, you know, some of these things that we label as problems, we, they occur to us as problems as if I have to go fix something. And usually we know at a deep level, I can't fix someone else, mm -hmm. right? I can't fix you. I can't fix Dan. I can't fix Chad. I can't even usually fix myself because there's nothing to fix. There's things to reorient. There's things to intervene in. There's things to represence. There's things to challenge. And then other people have to do their own work. I even have to do my own work. You have to do your own, Dan. You have to do your own chat. So there's an alignment issue there and there's an intervention issue there. But I don't actually get to fix a person because the person's not broken. They're just doing what they're doing based on how they see the world. So part of it, I think sometimes we set it up in a way that we know we wouldn't want to be on the receiving end. So we avoid the sending end, right? We we wouldn't want to be handled in the way that I think I must handle them. So let me just not deal with it. But when it comes to people issues, I think that's part of the dynamic that's there. So but one thing I say to myself, I'll just throw a handful of things in here. One of the things I say to myself is one of my kind of mantras or whatever you want to say. It's today there are no problems to solve. They're just situations to manage, right? So I need to go jump into there's a situation here. There's not a problem here. There's a situation here that requires leadership. I've happened to organize my life that I'm leading most domains that I'm in. So I just need to go jump into the situation and engineer it and manage it and push it around and go be in the conversation. It's a series of conversations. And yeah, I like, the, like Jack Welch, I talk about what he said, you know, he would measure whether he had a successful day or not by the number of 
difficult conversations he successfully navigated through the day. Like mm-hmm. yeah. the more uncomfortable he was during the day in these conversations, the better the day usually turned out to be. Yeah. You know? And so how I, often do we do that? I was on a, Adrian, what you were talking about reminds me, I was on a coaching call last week with a business owner who has had a history of, <laughs> I don't know, I don't know the right term for it, attacking his people in, in a way that they leave. <laughs> When he's frustrated, when he's, you know, and what we've uncovered in our work together, he's gotten so much better. And he finally has a team that he's been working with since we've been working together. He now has a team that's been intact for six months, which is unreal for him. That's been unheard of in the five year history of this business for him. He hasn't had an intact team for six months, which is awesome. And he still loves them. And they seem to be thriving in the culture he's creating. So, (laughs) but we were having a conversation the other day and he was describing this behavior to me that one of his people was engaging in and it wasn't going to work. It wasn't going to get them where they needed to be. And I said, well, have you talked to them about it? (laughs) And he said, well, I don't want to be an asshole. Yeah. And I said, wait, that's the only option. Wait, what? Wait, (laughs) say that again. What does talking to somebody about something mean? Oh, it means you're an asshole. Okay. Now I see why you haven't had a team intact for more than two months. Because my point is, if having a a conversation is being an asshole, and then you put them off, you become an asshole. Exactly. (laughs) Now we understand. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. It's like self-fulfilling. It's a vicious cycle. That's right. To him, it looked like the only way he was going to be able to bring this up to them was to be an asshole. Right. You know, and and what a connecting conversation it was to say, well, hold on just a second, man. How else could it look? Yeah. Well, and what is the, what is the, you know, there are some assumptions behind that. I, I imagine like he probably feels like he has to be an asshole because he might think he has to get them to do something they don't want to do, right? Versus explore with them what they're up to, learn with them about what's wanted and needed, stand with them to get it done. Yeah. Like, like, which are very distinct ways of being in the conversation, different intents, right? If I look at you and I go, I got to get you to do the job you're hired to do, I, I would, I'd want to rethink if I found myself in that place. And by the way, I think this is common. I know we have clients who don't believe in the people they've hired. You can know that because there's a constant complaint about the person. And then if you ask, have you talked to that person about this? And they'll say, no, because I know how it'll turn out. Whenever I find myself saying, I don't want to talk to Adrian or you or Eileen or any of the team because I know how it's going to turn out. I'm in resignation. So probably good to go talk to find out just to yeah. like confess. Yeah. I've given up on you. Yeah. I don't believe in you. <laughs> right. Where'd the trust go? Yeah. What do we need to do to re- reconcile the peace or the trust? Mm. Yeah. You know, what came up for me was you know, why this person thinks that a conversation that they're going to have is going to make them an asshole. I'm guessing, I'm guessing it's because their thoughts about this person sound like what an asshole would say, right? Yeah. So it's, here's the bigger thing is like, 
I can think like an asshole, but doesn't mean I have to speak like one. Mm-hmm. And I think this is a lot of the there's there's a, there's a dynamic in here that I know we see. Maybe it's helpful to talk about it is because I can have thoughts about a person or a situation and I don't have to say all those thoughts or don't have to say all those thoughts like that. I was looking up the word restraint, but it doesn't quite do, because that's what I would call it, is having some restraint. I know restraint's a huge tool in my life, which is like not doing what I want to do for the sake of something else. Uh, But actually, the word refrain is closer. To keep oneself from doing or feeling or indulging in something and from following a passing impulse. It's more like refrain. But I'm just saying like, and this is where, I mean, we've been talking about that this this morning, helping leaders know how to talk about what they're very passionate about. And they're very, they're, they're most entrepreneurs and leaders relate to their work very severely, like it's personal. And so when someone's not delivering at the level that they see themselves delivering, if they're delivering that way or not, but they see themselves as such a hero in the story or... Smartest guy in the room. Um, essential, smartest guy in the room, essential player, fill in the blank. They see themselves like that. And when other people aren't, it's naturally a threat and it's naturally personal. And I say naturally, I just mean if they're going to relate to that in a default way, unless they choose something else, choose a new perspective about it. Yeah, the, the, their intent is going to either place them as a partner or a competition, right? That's and right. How often does... Do you find yourself competing with the people you're working with, you know? Yeah. And, and particularly if your intent is to try to get them to do something, presupposition is that they don't want to do it. Right. That's right. what makes me become like, you know, an asshole or edgy or, you know, because yeah. I'm, I'm laying on them an assessment or an ass- uh, you know, I'm living, I'm believing my thoughts. Like when you were talking about, it's not just having, but how often do you challenge your thoughts, right? Yes. Like, you don't have to believe them. You can have yeah. them and not believe them and challenge them. Like, do, do I think this person doesn't want to do this? Why did they come here? Like, mm-hmm. and, and if I really do have that concern, why wouldn't I have that conversation with them? Yeah. Right? Yeah. Well, our tendency to villainize someone that's not doing what we want. You know, you, you talk about this all the time, Dan. It's uh, in the relational domain. Which is, if I don't do something, let's say in some kind of relationship, if I don't do something, I've got all my reasons why I didn't do it. Yeah. And they're all justified and make sense to me. If they don't, we don't know their reasons, but we know they're wrong. Yeah. I have empathy. I don't give them the same empathy I give myself, you mean. Right. But it's it's the potential to vilify, you know the other person because they're not doing what they want and we've all got a big story about it. And my, just, my point, I guess, which might not be that useful, but is to make the distinction between, because people, I think, avoid conversations because they don't know or they haven't created a practice of, I can actually speak, I can manage, envelop the complexity of my judgments about a situation and actually take all that, find a way to harness the good of even those strong judgments, find a way to integrate my vision for the person in the situation and have a conversation that's distinct from my darker conversation. Yeah, but that means you have to be really aware. Like, give an example. I had a company I was running a nonprofit and in years and we did pretty well over the years and turning it over to somebody else. 
when I look back at how that failed, because I failed at it, when I look back at how that failed, what a lot of it was in my intent for turning it over. Rather than turning it over to see this person win, the organization move on, I was turning it over to get it out of my, I didn't want to do it anymore, to get it out of my space. So I found myself in the middle of it when I saw things weren't working, and they were small, like a shit hors d'oeuvre. I went in to make some corrections, and because I got some pushback, I remember thinking to myself, well, I just don't want to do this. I don't have time for this. And I instantaneously became a jerk, right? Because it was a burden. Now I have to do something I really don't want to do. And that why am I doing it? Mm. Well, I want to get this out of my lap. And if I go do this, then it's back in my lap. So now I'm angry at the other guy. Yeah. The thing was, what like he was doing, he was doing his best. I just needed to get in there and help his him, it's like, you know, when you run something, you know all the little intricacies of it and and you know how to make it work. And maybe he's not going to make it work the way you do, but you can at least make him aware of some of the things you've learned through experience. And the minute I got pushback, I went, oh, okay, fine. Well, you don't want to learn. When, when I look back after I debriefed this thing, I realized, well, no, I didn't want to be bothered. Yeah. So my not wanting me to be bothered he, of course, wasn't coming to me to look for anything. In fact, he was trying to avoid me. I really started to see how I created the culture for him not to come to me, which made me right that he really, in, you know, in my mind, he was coming to fix something I broke or rather than take something on. I have this whole story to make me right. <laughs> and all it was is when I look back at it, is I, if I would have been honest about how much I didn't want to do it yeah. and confess that we could have had a great partnership because I yeah. could have then come to the party for him. Right. It was because when we, when we split up, he said, you lied to me. And I, I said, I didn't, I never lied to you, but I realized I lied to myself that this, I was lying to him because I, I was lying to myself about why I was there. And so naturally living out a lie, you lie to other people, even yeah. though you think you're telling the truth. Right. That was, I, that was me. But it made a big difference. It colored every interaction. It was almost like it was hitting a plexiglass thing between us. I couldn't get to him. And the thing that was between us was what I why I was doing it. Hmm. Instead of doing it to support him and the vision and make a difference and really get it over there, I was doing it to be right about, you know, I, I just didn't want this burden anymore and anything that had to do with me just sitting down and rolling up my sleeves like that felt like somehow I was taking it back on. So makes sense. Yeah. 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 Makes sense. That's so was, interesting. Oh, go ahead. I'm, Andrew. I'm sure people, I'm sure people that are listening, I'm, I'm thinking about some key leaders that I've worked with and some of their nuances that they're going through, even, you know, in real time right now. I think this is a challenge, especially when you work inside you're, you're, you were having like a legacy conversation, um, like handing over an organization. Mm -hmm. And I know, I mean, there are, there are lots of agreements inside the corporate structure. One thing, one something like there's lots of agreements about my lane and your lane. And this, this conversation has been coming up a lot about when have I done enough and when am I, essentially the question usually is, when am I off the hook? Have I done what's appropriate? Off the hook. 
have I done enough so that I can say I'm done, which is like the cover your ass conversation or how do I be in the, how do I like appropriately place the responsibility on somebody, but not let go of the intrinsic responsibility to make sure the thing happens. You know, it comes up lots in the hiring process. Oh, I've sent the request to HR to hire this person. I'm very overwhelmed. I've done my part. Adios. Look at me. And then, but the benefit is now I get to blame HR for it not happening. Instead of staying connected to the result in a way that I'm going to go now be what HR might think is way too involved. You know, because, oh, hold on, man, this is my domain. But no, hold on. No, no. Actually, if you do your domain, then I get to do mine and we get to make a bunch of money or we get to succeed as a company. So your domain and its effectiveness actually is also my domain. I'm not running yours, but I, but it affects me. So I'm going to be involved in the conversation, making sure at least I'm crystal clear on what you're up to and when you're going to deliver and what you and how I can know what I'm that. expecting and what I need. Go ahead. And, what, and how can I contribute? And I'm a resource as much as, you know, it's like there's so many conversations that we don't have or language for. We don't language that could put to use the tension. Not get yes. rid of the tension, but direct the tension in a way that would reveal what's wanted and needed. Yeah, that, and that's a that I, that's so attitudinal. I, you know, it's that's like you. What do you do with that? There's really a hierarchy to it. You know, I yeah. we were listening to our client today that we were on the phone with, and I could see hear his attitude. I could hear his cynicism, and I yeah. know we're constantly intervening in that cynicism. Because it be, it's so easy when you're doing so much and you're at stake for so much to want to disconnect through cynicism, you know? Yeah. And then you're in trouble because that's a way of ignoring the problem. Right? What one guy, uh, this guy Xander wrote, he wrote the book, something Possibility. Art of Possibility. Art of Possibility. And he said, you know, a, a cynic is a passionate person who's vowed never to be hurt again or never to be exposed again, right? So, you know, and if you're leading people, you're investing in them. So you're getting, you're exposing, you're vulnerable in the relationship. And cynicism is, I don't go too far. I only invest so far. And then I go, oh, let's see if they're going to make it. Which, you know, if you're, if you're saying, let's see if they're going to make it to somebody you hired, you interviewed, you walked them through, you set them up, and now you're going to wait and see. That, you're setting up a culture that's going to be extremely painful. Yeah. Rather than, okay, now roll up your sleeves. It's time to win. Yeah. Reminds me of like a relay race. When you watch these guys on the track and how far, when the handoff happens, how far they run together. And that the one who's handing off has so much momentum, even after the handoff, that he's still running on the track while the other one's taking off, right? And getting up to speed. It's so, it's always interesting. Great metaphor. Yeah. And the the other thing is when you guys are talking about villains, I'm thinking about this type of person that I think we all know, not type of person, but this attitude. Yeah, this, this experience of somebody who, everybody in their life looks like a villain to them. Mm -hmm. Right? They're just living a story out of villains and they're the only hero. And I think if that connects to you, if you're listening to this and that connects to you, you see yourself in that, because I've seen myself in that at times, there's probably a lot of breakdowns that you're choosing to ignore, (laughs) right? And I'm thinking like, 
So I have this coin that I keep on my desk, which is the obstacle is the way, daily stoic. And it says the impediment to action advances action. What stands in the way becomes the way. So true. And, and it's just when we talk about this, these people and these breakdowns and these quote unquote problems, as you talked about labeling them problems, Adrian, we see them as an impediment. It's it's in the way and I've got to avoid it. I've got to skirt it, ignore it, make, pretend that it's not there. Don't waste my time when really that's the point of connection. That's where the resource is. Yeah, it is. Yeah. yeah but, I mean, then, I think- but if it's wrong, bad or broken, if I framed it in my attitude, then who wants to get close to anything that's wrong, bad or broken? I want to get away from whatever's wrong, bad or broken or fix it. Like yeah. So that's what creates that fix it mindset is what's well, wrong or it's bad or it's broken versus I wonder what it's calling me into, what's wanted and needed. Very different set of conversations or questions to live out of, right? Yeah. This is why, I mean, so much of our work ends up being as a way to explore own you know, rearticulate and then live into some new attitudes of what's, you know, because culture comes out of attitude as well. Culture comes out of this kind of this net, if you will, a nest, if you will, of conversations about what it means to work here and who we are and how am I going to be and how are you going to be and how do we play, how do we play ball together? You know, we end up talking a lot about attitudes because, you know, some attitudes are so common we think they're all that's available, like, yeah. like overwhelm, like I'm overwhelmed. We think that's something that's happening instead of the attitude that I'm in. There's no overwhelm that's waiting out there and all of a sudden overwhelm is happening. No, no, no. Overwhelm is always an attitude that I'm in about my circumstances. So, but if I don't see that as an attitude, I've got no power over overwhelm. If I see it as something that's happening to me, then I'm a victim of overwhelm, and now so I got to wait until it right. passes. So, if you're if somebody's listening in there, they might be thinking, "Well, he doesn't know what he's talking about." I, overwhelms when all this stuff comes at me. What I hear you saying is, overwhelm is what you tell yourself about what's coming at you. That's right. What you're believing about what's coming at you. Yeah, and that the trick to overcoming overwhelm isn't dealing with what's coming at you, but first reinventing the way you're talking about what you're involved in. Yeah. Versus coming. Here's why all this came to me. Cause I was thinking about why we don't or why people label things as problems. And it's partially because like, if I'm in a relationship with someone and all of a sudden something's broken. And if I see now that I'm, you know, people can't see this as I'm on a podcast, but I'm over here. Let's, and I'm on this side and then all of a sudden they're on that side and the problem is in between us. Now that's an orientation. That's a way to frame what's happening in the relationship. And I'd say it's probably the most common. Like I have this relationship with this person, all of a sudden there's a problem and now that problem is between us. And you're both looking at different sides of the problem. Both yeah. looking at different sides of the problem and the problem is in between us. And most people, if they think that's the case, then that's a problem. And now I got to deal with this problem before I can get back to that person. And and I think because people run the story, everybody does at some point. I know I do at some point. Like there's just too much going on. I'm overwhelmed. Too little bandwidth, whatever. Fill in the story, fill in the blank, whatever, however you call it. 
It's so easy then to say, I don't want to deal with this. I don't have time to deal with this. I would, but I can't. Anyway, all the stories we, all the, anyway, anyway whatever we've done to justify not dealing. But I, it's hits, it hits me that, you know, a part of rethinking about the quote unquote problem, because if the problem is the thing in between us, then I can't have a, I can't have the type of relationship I want unless that problem's gone. Or I could actually, if I'm a leader, and I think this is our job, is I think leaders are called to advocate for their people. That's your job. To help your people be awesome. Help your people deal with their issues. Help your people grow. Help your people have a vision. Help your people, you know, get better. Help, you know, that's, that's your job as a leader. So if that's true, then I actually reorient the way I'm in the conversation like this. So it's no longer me over here, that person's over there, and in between us is the problem. I actually, as the leader, go around the problem and go stand with the person and look at the problem together. And now I'm an advocate for this person solving their own problem. Now, how does that change? How does that immediately change the dynamic? Well, it's not, it's not my problem anymore. As a leader, my job is to help you solve problems. And help you see how you're seeing your problems and help you see what actions you're taking or not taking as a result of the problem. Do you even see this? Do you see the implications if, if you don't see this? Do you see how bad it's going to get? Do you see how it's going to affect the rest of the team? Do you see how it's going to affect the, our impact in the market? Do you even see or do you care about these things? And there are answers to those questions. There are actual answers to those questions and their answers matter. And they're going to, you're going to realize what they are somewhere at some yes. point. The knots come through the cone. So that's right. Yeah. That's right. So part of the, I think the resistance, which shows up like ignoring, is also found in the relationships that people have, both to their own reality. Lead, top leader, every, every leader I know has more things to do than they have time to do. They actually lived in, they live in a must world, in a prioritized world. They must. Otherwise, if they're doing everything, you know, they'll never sleep and their spouse will hate them and their kids won't know their name and all that. So it comes to like of finding ways to reorient themselves, reorient ourselves to what's most important. And how do I actually have the most potent conversations and the most productive conversations and the way to have the conversations that we actually get productivity and connection? Yeah. Like both. How do I get? Both. Most people don't live in a both and world, but I, we can actually have the productive conversation, i.e. things move forward faster. We get towards solution and we're actually closer on the other end of this quote unquote difficult conversation. They don't have a vision for that. Instead, it's like I'll either deal with the problem or be nice. And those. <laughs> yeah, how do I get around this without it blowing up? Right. But if you, you think about it. What you know, sometimes you don't know you're ignoring a problem. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I honestly, when I, when I talk about that company where I was handing it over, I thought back about it and, did, and realized I didn't realize I was avoiding or ignoring the problem. And I, I remember there's a number of things that gave, were clues that I didn't pay attention to. One, I was complaining a lot to myself about the process, about what was wanted and needed, about what's requiring of me. So I was in constant complaint in my own head. I was avoiding conversations I felt would be too uncomfortable or, in my mind, they would be bad for the process, so we didn't have them. So I was mm -hmm. with 
them, or I'd have them in ways that were so innocuous or so diplomatic that the other person wouldn't know I was really upset mm-hmm. <laughs> or that there was a problem there. It was just an option, right? But there are things we do, I think, that would that are clues to ourselves about the fact that we're ignoring a problem. And one, I think the main one is complaint. You know, there's two kinds of complaint. There's me putting on the face that I know I need to put on and get by with my team. And then internally, I'm complaining about the guy who's leading or the, my teammate or, you know, blah, you know, whoever. And inside, I'm carrying the complaint, but I'm not telling them. Mm-hmm. Right? So that's a sign I'm ignoring the problem. And the story is they wouldn't understand. It would hurt them too much. They can't handle it. I don't have time for it. Yeah. You put down line, you know? I shouldn't have to. Yeah, I'm not I paid him too much. I'm not babysitting these guys. Yeah, That's I'm going to give this guy enough rope to hang himself. Yeah, I wanted to before we wrap up. I wanted to make sure we touched on this topic because I think it's so pervasive in leadership, and that is that is leaders that think they can ignore a problem and their people won't notice. Like I can just pretend this thing's not here. And nobody on the team will know the better. They should just, they'll just do their work the way that they're supposed to do their work and we'll all get along fine. And I'll use them as pawns in my scheme to not deal with this problem or this breakdown the way that would be most beneficial for the team, the company, and myself. And I just think that it's an interesting observation. You know, as we observe ourselves in leadership roles, giving people, <laughs> not assuming that they're stupid, <laughs> I guess, is one thing that that I'm thinking of is that, yeah. you know, some leaders really assume that the people that are there on their team and they're working with are, are dumb enough to not notice that something's awry, something's up. Yeah. Well, to notice that you're avoiding something, right? Yeah. Like, they notice it. They, yeah, absolutely. In fact, they're usually noticing it before you do. Yeah. At least in my experience. That's what I, I always tell clients. Like any confession you make to your team, you're the last one of that party. Yeah. Well, I mean, like today when you were sure you confessed about what Chad had said, I mean, we hadn't thought about that. Yeah. There was. They noticed yeah. before we did. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's like, oh, okay, good. We should get that clear. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Get that clear. I mean, you know, kick Ch- Chad out of here. So, he, you know, that guy, he's just a moaner and he's always. You know, <laughs> Nothing's ever good enough for that guy. Never satisfied. Always bitching about shit. They can't pay him enough. He's Louise. Yeah, I I love that. I love that when when you confess that or you notice that you're the last one to the party. That's fantastic. (laughs) Yeah, you're probably going to be because if you're, then think about it. How much do does an entrepreneur or a manager, somebody who's running a business unit, they're looking at the business all the time. So it's not like to give them an excuse, but when you got your head in it that deep. It's good to have somebody who's not that deep to be able to go, hey, wait a minute, there's also this here, and did you see that? And yeah. I mean, that's the value of having all those different eyes on it, right? Yeah. I mean, yeah, I, from an organization standpoint, you know, for and, sure. And if, if I got to have all the answers, then I'm going to be threatened every time somebody comes up with something. Yeah. So. You know, as a leader, organizationally, I'd always be asking your people, hey, what am I not seeing? What am I missing? What are people saying about me that I'm not hearing? Is mm-hmm. there any feedback I need to hear? You know, any of those are just, they're openings and they say something. I mean, when people say that they're perfectionists, they usually say it like, I don't want to be one. Or they're like, you know, troubled by it. 
but they're not. You're never troubled by being a perfectionist. That's a big scam. You want to yeah. be, you want to act like you're going after excellence, but you're not. You're avoiding something like everybody else is. You know, so it's just so boring to like act like the game is to have it all together. That's a boring game. Nobody wants to play ball with a leader that acts like they have their shit together. You don't. That's so true. You know, so just, you know, assume I'm not seeing something. Assume I'm missing something. And this is always, you know, as evidenced by this morning, it's like, oh, wow. Okay, look, I've got something to learn as one of the leaders of this team. And no big deal. I could take it on. Like, yes. Well, I mean, even the subject we're on, which is, you know, we're, we've been taking a run at this a few times. So, yep. We've had a lot already come up in just the last week about what we hadn't looked at and what we did look at and other ways to look at what we've looked at. And, you know, we've been able to discover new ways to approach a problem we have yet to solve. Yeah. Mm. Which has yep. encouraged me. We'll That's just keep doing that. Yep. Well, this is great. Thanks so much, gentlemen. Good to be with you guys. Good luck, everybody. Ciao. Bye-bye, everybody. Stop Bye. ignoring those problems. Stop Bye. ignoring. <laughs> stop. <laughs> Just stop it. <laughs> stop. Well, friends of the podcast, thank you so much for joining us this week. If this podcast has helped you or entertained you at all, we encourage you to go to iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Leave us a five-star rating and a glowing review. That'll help us reach more people and grow this community. And finally, if you have any suggestions or feedback for the podcast, we would love to hear from you. You can email me at chad at takenewground.com. Thank you so much for joining us. and We'll meet you back here next week for another episode of the Naked Leadership Podcast.